Hello guys, I am Ricardo de la Blanca. During the last 20 years, I've been working in different parts of the world where I met very interesting people. People who accomplish what seems impossible. People who make mistakes. Fun and passionate people. People from whom we are going to learn what no school or university can teach. We're going to learn from leaders. Hello, Brett. I'm so happy that you accept to be in these calls, my friend. As you know, we create this podcast in some way based on this crazy situation where people are super negative and very scared about the future. And I believe that bringing a story like yours to the table, showing that success is nothing that came you know, from one day to the other, but means a lot of efforts and positive attitude, I think it's going to inspire, inspire a lot of people to do the same. So for the people that don't know you, uh, number one, you're a good friend from YPO, also a Harvard student. And in terms of the company, you are the founder of Star Mountain Capital, a fantastic company in the financial sector. So, but Brett, today, again, I want to know not the typical thing that we know in your webpage or in your podcast, but also, you know, something more personal. So how you start uh, from the beginning, your mentors, I don't know. Tell me a little bit more about your story, my friend. Yeah, sure, Ricardo. Happy to. And uh, always happy to try to inspire others. In fact, Star Mountain Capital uh, really believes in a purpose for profit type of a connection and a holistic view to a, an immersive life. And so we really believe in trying to help invest in and build businesses and try to add value to them. So it's always a pleasure to help inspire other people to be creative, innovative, uh, entrepreneurial, also help uh, share with others uh, something that we firmly believe in, which is that culture and community are a critical part of business and shouldn't be just looked at as something fluffy or something in an ESG capacity, but something that can really be a fundamental uh, aspect of your business, which can also become, I believe, a competitive advantage uh, in your business. So may maybe a couple things that are less well-known a little bit. I'll start with a few just basic things, Ricardo. Um, and it's interesting because right now, um, to, to start with something unique for your audience, uh, I have two young children, a son who's approximately four and a daughter who's approximately two. And so I'm embarking right now on a journey that I have very little experience or information on, raising children. And I'm sure many of you have been through it. And right now, what am I <laughs> probably, doing? Is probably the tough work in the world. <laughs> exactly. No, no clear scripts to follow. There's no blueprints. And so really the way you need to learn is somewhat what we're doing right now which is asking questions, sharing experiences. And as you know, Ricardo, that's a big part of YPO's learning, which, which I've been in now for 13 years. So something that I've found interesting lately is really thinking about our children and where they're gonna go to school and what are the key attributes that matter to us and we think will make an impact in their lives. And a lot of it is about the holistic view of growing up. And in business, I think that's something that's often missed. A lot of people just focus on revenue or cash flows or size of business, number of employees, metrics. And I think you can lose the proverbial forest through the trees if you don't focus on saying, what is really core at the center of my business? 
So I think core at the center of our, of our business is really culture. At the end of the day, we're a people business. Yes, we have two offices in India and they're great people and they do fantastic data entry. Yes, we've spent a lot of money on custom built technology, but at the end of the day, it's approximately the 40 full-time employees that we have overlaid with the 35 or so operating partners. And then it's that team that is investing our capital and working with high quality business owners and entrepreneurs and helping them achieve their dreams, build their companies, protect their capital. And so the one thing I, I really fundamentally believe is that you have to look at the core of a business and what you're going to do and make sure you always stay true north to that center. Uh, that's something that I find in the private equity investing business, as well as in any type of entrepreneurial company that um, often gets underweighted. And I think it's crucial for long-term success in today's day and age. And I think a pandemic really brings that out of people. It brings out true leadership. Do you care about your employees? Do you care about your customers? Do you care about your clients? And if so, what are you doing about them and how are you acting? Um, so I'll stop there, but I think Ricardo, that, that inner focus on culture and community, which is expensive, it's time consuming. And it means that at times you are making trade-offs where you're not hunting for revenue on a quick short-term basis, but you're long-term saying that I want a team and I want customers and people who really care about the business and the mission of the business and are willing to make referrals, which as we all know, that's one of the best ways to grow a business that are willing to be loyal, be passionate, really be focused. And I think that is a critical attribute of long-term success. Yes. I, I would like to, I, let me tell you one thing. I love how you start that you start um, to talking about that is you, you mentioned and you describe your business, not a in terms of profit, but a way to help other entrepreneurs because it's true. You make money and you make the commission or whatever you 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 win the money through giving you know loans, whatever. But it's true that the the incredible way to see that you are not a financial institution, you are someone trying to help others with a resource that they need to grow their business. And also I love what you mentioned about the purpose. And I think that is a lot of the influence that the Harvard and YPO make on us to really understand that as an entrepreneur, we need to not just focus in making money. And in fact, we were supposed to first create value in a company and then by consequence, make money. But I, I, I love to hear this from you, my friend, because I think it's, it's very important to there is a typification about entrepreneurs that is just about making money and it's not true. So the real entrepreneur is someone like you that jump in this call to inspire people. And by the way, I'm not paying anything to Brett. So he's, he's putting his time. And, and by the way, it was complicated to have final time for him in, in, in the agenda. But I, I think that all this part of, of an entrepreneur of helping others, building a company that brings value to others and inside of the company, create a culture of helping others. This is fantastic. I think, I think the other day I was with a friend, I think that he was also a YPO, he's a huge owner, in a, it's kind of the Coca-Cola for Peru and, and, and South America, huge company. Hmm. 
And, and I was asking, because I know that he loved politics, and I was asking, I think it's time to you to run for Peruvian um, government. And he said, you know what, Rick? I learned that I'm doing so much help making a more conscious company and through my company and, the, and what I'm doing in the company to help others. I'm making maybe more impact than a politician. So uh, I love the, the uh, and, and it's very important that the people that are listening. The other day, and, and then I'm going to pass you the, the word again, Brad, but the, the other day I was with a friend and he was telling me, I want to start a business. Uh, and I said, okay, well, what, what is your, you know, what is your idea? Whatever that makes money. And I said, you know what? You're not ready. You're not ready. Yeah. Because if you're thinking about money, you are totally wrong. So you need to feel, you need to think where I'm really special, what I'm going to do every single day with passion. How can I do this in a way that is so fantastic that help others? And then you are ready. So this, this, this should be the way. But let, let, me, let me know something else. But, so how you start? Where do you, where do you grow up? In New York? Yeah, I'll give you the background. And Rick, just to make sure it pulls up, because I think you, you mentioned a couple things that are really high value. Uh, one of them is focusing on the means that will generate the ends. The other thing is the focus on really thinking about what problem or problems are you trying to solve. When I um, did the executive program at Harvard Business School and first started in the owner, president, manager, uh, program, uh, which upon completion, I received um, Harvard Business School alumni status. Uh, it was a really special program because we got to live on campus with approximately 150 other CEOs from around the world for approximately three weeks each unit um, over the course of three years and then do work in between and so on and so forth. And it was really interesting because right at the beginning of the program, you have people that own banks in Venezuela and different things. You mentioned Peru, which is what made me think about these things. And the first questions the professors asked us were, what problem or problems is your business solving? If you can't clearly identify that, you should consider selling your business. The second was, how are you uniquely differentiated from your competitors? If you can't clearly answer that, you need to work on it. And just because the last 30 years of your business were great, doesn't mean that the next five or 10 will, never mind 30. And so I think that for people looking to start ideas, it's tough. It's, it's a really, I empathize and really looking for ways that you see a clear need and a clear problem that you find passion being able to tackle, uh, which in the case of Star Mountain is bringing large market resources to high quality smaller entrepreneurs. We are not focused on trying to find the next Google as Star Mountain. That's what's sexy. That's front page of the Wall Street Journal. But 50, 60% of the GDP of this country and around 90% of the workforce are not trying to build Googles and Facebooks, and they never will. They're businesses that we've trademarked investing in the growth engine of America. Well, where what really is the engine of America? And, and innovation is critical. Don't let me take anything away from fabulous businesses like Google, Facebook, Netflix, and so forth. But very few companies can really do that and have a market opportunity to do that. What most businesses in America do is much smaller, but is crucial to the economy, crucial to livelihoods, to families, and so forth. And we're seeing that you know, now in particular in the pandemic, and that's where you've seen from a political standpoint, the governments so aggressively get behind helping support these companies. 
And so what I said, starting my career at Solomons with Barney, which at the time was the largest financial institution in the world as part of Citigroup, you know, I was very fortunate to have a lot of information, a lot of data working, you know, in New York City at the headquarters. And it was really um, helpful to understand what can you do when you have vast amounts of resources, then you bring that down to smaller companies that often don't get access to the same type of information, talent, financial, and other resources. And what Star Mountain's mission was to really say, let's bring large market resources into these smaller businesses to really help them build stronger, more defensible, and more scalable companies and really have fun doing it. Uh, and it really is a lot of fun to feel like we're giving back in a way that people care about it. Um, we can't deploy billions of dollars a year doing it, but today, you know, with current leverage facilities that we have, we have about a billion and a half dollars of capital and we're growing quite rapidly. So we're, we're very happy where we're at as a business today, but it's really a lot of fun. It feels good to help add value to people that makes the time worthwhile. It's not just trading paper around. So where did I grow up? Uh, not New York City. Um, it also makes the thinking about our, our, our kids and raising them really, really interesting. It's something that's top of mind a lot to me because there's, there's no clear equation. It's really a multivariable um, with changing variables with your children in a changing world and trying to best continue to advance things, keeping culture and community and other core things really top of mind to us. But I, I grew up in a small town in uh, northern British Columbia, Canada of about 10,000 people. Um, Fun fact, I guess, that maybe relates to Star Mountain. Um, I used to do a lot of fishing. Uh, my dad loves the outdoors, and we would often go to harder fishing holes to get to. And I kind of think of it like investing. There's a place you could drive your truck up to and park and just kind of cast your, your line <laughs> in the water, probably from the back of your truck. You probably didn't even have to put your sneakers on or anything. Um, easy to get to, quick to get to. So you could feel that that's satisfying. But the results, very limited. Instead, you could do what we often did, which is really what I liked about it, was really the hiking aspect of it, uh, more so than the fishing, truth be told. And so we would go to difficult places to get to, and then we would take our jet boat up the river, and then camp, and then hike. And it was just such a fun outdoors experience. So a lot of effort to get there. But when you got there, you, you had fantastic, beautiful, fantastic right? you, beautiful you, you, water you, you, hole, fish everywhere. So that upfront effort basically gave you almost guaranteed results, but you had to put the time and effort into it up front. And I think of it like investing in what we've done at Star Mountain. These smaller uh, private businesses are more time consuming to find and underwrite and manage. But if you do that and you know what you're fishing for, uh, what we've seen in our results is really just fabulous, you know, not only impact, but also financial results that we're very proud of. I, I, it's funny because uh, the, the start of your life close to the nature, I don't know if there is any relationship with good people and the nature, but in, in my case, my, my mother is from Italy and my grandmother and father, my nonna and nonna, they, 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 they were there living. And, so I, and, and my mother and my father were living in Venezuela. So my summers were in Italy. But in Italy, during this time in summer, this, this was the old, because I was in the capital in Caracas. But in Europe, I experiment this green moment with the uh, animals. And I, I don't know if there is any relationship. Um, I mean, for, for the fathers of kids like you, I think it's very important to put our kids in very basic things and enjoy 
the earth, in, but in the very natural, because we are so, when, when we are in business, we are super so in computers, in, in, and, and we sometimes we forgot these small things that are so nice. Just this, the other day I was in an interview with a friend, I think it's a politician, and he was describing, he still remember the air going through the, air, through the trees in one place and the sun. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what I think is, is uh, we need to also push for this kind of new entrepreneurs that, that uh, really enjoy basic things, not super calm, no money, basic things in life because they, they matter a lot. So uh, I, I don't know if you saw the same relationship, but in my case, all the people that love dogs and love natural, they're kind of better person. I don't know if there is any relationship. So please I keep think, going. I think, well, no, Rick, I think you, you bring up a good point and I think it's something that's probably under-analyzed and under- evaluated, which is really understanding people better. Back to the point of our business, it's a people business, finding people that are loyal in any type of relationship, whether it's marriage, friendships, business, finding loyal, high integrity, high ethics, high fiduciary people is critical. And when we evaluate people, we try to look for threads of anything that that showcases that. And it could be involvement in family, it could be religion, it could be sports, it could be community, you know, arts, music, anything that shows that you really want to be engaged and give back. And, you know, when I look back on, on my life upon reflection, and I try to be very careful in life because it's easy for us to create self-fulfilling prophecies and to look at our own experiences and become too biased from them. But I remember, um, uh, after I was I was speed skating on the national team with the goal of going to Salt Lake City and in Canada, and I flipped my bicycle on the velodrome, an Olympic uh, bike racing event. I was a really strong cyclist as far as strength, wow. but didn't have the type of uh, agility as the other racers because I built my strength more so speed skating than it was cycling. So probably too much power relative to uh, agility led to the accident, unfortunately. And I kind of said, you know, do I want to wait four more years to hope for the next Olympics and decided no in the adage of finance, not putting all your eggs in one basket. I didn't want to do that as well uh, either with my career. And so I uh, transferred to McGill University in Montreal to then the, the far East coast of Canada to finish my undergraduate degree from where I thought was Uh, one of the best, if not the best, launching pads from Canada to get into a finance uh, epicenter, which I viewed New York as the primary and London as the secondary at the time, uh, which I still think is is, very much true today. And really just said, if you immerse yourself in learning, it makes the probability of learning a lot better was my sort of simple math. And so when I was at McGill, I all, I kind of think back and a lot of people say, well, I don't have time to give back or I don't have money to give back. And I'm like, well, my dad was a high school teacher. My mother died of cancer when I was six years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was going to McGill University, I'm extremely blessed to have had an aunt that let me live with her. So that had my room and board be almost nothing, which was, which was amazing. And I'm so thankful for that. And that allowed me to really focus my money on paying for my education and food and other activities such as sports. And so I got into playing rugby. But one of the other things I did was I coached a speed skating club on the weekends. The other thing I did is I drove somebody to uh, go to his chemotherapy. And so the impact I had was actually quite small, right? One single person 
driving him to chemotherapy treatments. Uh, it was once to twice a week um, for the course of the summer. But the impact to that person's life was huge. And to me, I didn't know all the ways I could give back, but I knew I cared. I wanted to honor my mother's legacy in different ways. And and so whenever I hear younger people today say, well, you know, I here's all the reasons I can't, I can't, I can't. I just, for me, I, I've never had a lot of time for why you can't do things. I think if you're a good person and you are an innovator, and I think those two things matter, you're focused on how you can do things. And it doesn't mean you become rich overnight because very few people do that. I know there you know, are the odd examples that we see and we know of, the again, Googles and Facebooks, but the probability of that is so minuscule that if you're hanging your hat on things like that, I just think you're sort of setting yourself up for an extraordinarily 99.999 or something percent likelihood of failure because you probably won't achieve that. I probably never will either. Uh, I'm okay with that. But I, I think back to those days of going to school full time, coaching a speed skating club, playing rugby, and also um, driving somebody for cancer treatment. And I think that if we all as a society think about how we can each do a little bit, each little bit adds up to a lot. Today, we run the Star Mountain Charitable Foundation, and our team is thankfully very involved, and we do a lot of things still around health and wellness and cancer research, as well as assisting veterans and women and athletes getting into their next phases of life. Mothers want to get back into the workforce, veterans transitioning from you know, uh, a, a civil duty into, you know, into a kind of a, some type of corporate life. And how do you, how do you do that? Um, because it's critical, all, all the people that give their time and their livelihoods on behalf of all of our safety is, is really critical. It was really sad today to see some of the things I heard of in Manhattan over the past few days of shootings and stuff like that is really, it's really unfortunate. So I do agree, Rick, that people should focus on who they're hiring and really think about who they are and who they represent and understand that we can all do something and look to hire people that say, hey, I'm not here sitting you telling you I changed the world while I was in college. I didn't. I did a very small thing um, and I did a few little things I was involved in, right? But that's just an example of something small, but it's not huge. It's not massively scalable, but, yeah, but, 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 but shows- it's a lot. You see that it's not much, but it's a lot because a young kid in university with so many things that you have to do and take the time for that. So it's a lot. And again, what you said, for this person, trust me, you touch his heart. So for sure, he will always remember what you did for him. So, and again, I think that it's about that. It's small things that can make the big difference. So I, I, love, I love this. So I didn't know that all. And you know what? I love this program because I'm the one, number one, be inspired by you. So I love your, no, really, <laughs> I really love your story because again, people saw you with a perfect suit, with a tie, and oh my God, look the story of this guy. So you lost oh, your I've, I've, I've read things and been like, oh, it must be easy when you, you, you were raised with money and all these things. I'm like, money? Like I worked on the oil drilling rigs in Northern Canada for a year to pay for college. Um, that's not fun labor for sake of clarity, being frozen you know, in the, in the middle of Northern Alberta, Northern Saskatchewan, isn't what I, at least I wouldn't call fun work. I actually kind of enjoyed it because they, 
you know, there's a bit of camaraderie of let's work hard, let's get it done. And, and physical labor does actually have a satisfying element to it. I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life because you see people that are in their early thirties, mid thirties, and their bodies are just a wreck. I mean, physical labor is tough, but in any event, I, I think that, um, you know, looking for people, Rick, it's one good thing from this podcast. Hopefully people really reflect on is a, we can all do something. Um, B look for other people who also care about their community. Somehow. I do think that the probability of them being high quality, high ethical, loyal and fiduciary people. And you think about the word fiduciaries in finance. If you're not loyal, you can't be a fiduciary because when investors are entrusting you with their money over a long period of time to invest in private businesses, whatever it may be, how can you say, oh yeah, I'm a fiduciary if you're, loyal, if you're not loyal to your investors and to your team and so forth? And I think it's a, it's a problem in the finance industry a little bit, which I think creates an opportunity. And at Starbound, we really try to say, look, we're not for everybody, but if you care about your community, if you care about your team, if you care about your investors, here's what we expect from you and here's what we'll give back. So what we give back is 100% of our team shares in the profits and the investing of our business, what's called carried interest in the private equity world. Um, we have no outside shareholders. So everybody, even administrative assistants, own equity and the way that we think of them is they are partners in the business. Everybody is 100% of our employees. And I think that's what we give back. If you give to us, we're in this journey together. And, um, you know, I think it's exciting. And you have to find the right people that fit your mission. And not everybody does. And to me, that's okay. You find the right people that have the same values and integrity. And uh, I think that's that's a big part of creating long-term uh, magic in any business, I believe, Rick. Brett, tell me the truth, please, and say yes. Have you ever considered to run politics? <laughs> because you, you should. Yeah. You should do something. <laughs> Never. That's, that, that's far above my pay grade. I uh, Growing <laughs> up in Canada, I think that well, solves it for one. But <laughs> no, I think you could be a governor or something like that. Because you know what? When, when you, I guess Schwarzenegger did, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You can do it. No, because yeah. you know what? No, there are, I mean, also in, in this fight with all my friends, entrepreneurs, that we really need to jump in this field, in the political arena. So I need that. I think the world needs political entrepreneurs, people that are same, with the same values, the same principle, the same passion that you had talking about your business, because I'm in fucking in love with your story. So I want to invest your money. So, because it's, it's, so if, you, if everything you said is like this, I, I want to be on, on this team. And I think that if you put the same passion and thinking and vision in the political arena, oh my God, you should be an amazing governor or whatever, I know in the position that you want to run. But I really believe, let me tell you one thing. I really believe that entrepreneurs need to a little bit go closer to the political arena because the politician in the past, I'm not saying this or that, in the past, they, in majority, they're not so prepare as the entrepreneurs. And I think that entrepreneurs have so many skills in terms of management. And at the end of the day, a politician in some way is making a management of money, public money, and making decisions every single day. And if they don't have the right tools, how we are gonna prosper? So I think that, I don't know, I guide you, and then I'm gonna jump to the question, but have you ever considered that? 
yes. I haven't, and I uh, and I and I really don't plan on. To be honest, I plan on focusing. You mentioned this earlier, but on on the places that I believe I can have the most impact um, for society with our charitable foundation, with our for-profit company, and who we are. And I sit on a few uh, nonprofit boards as well, including for. Harvard's alumni entrepreneurs and help for children and giving back to children and different things like that, that I think are, are often overlooked because they don't have anybody to speak on their behalf uh, with help for children, which is just a fabulous um, international organization around assisting uh, brave children. But um, that keeps my plate uh, with that and my own kids and, and family um, and wife and so forth. That, that keeps my life pretty full. But I do think, which not for not for today, I do think that politics from an outsider's view uh, opining from the cheap seats i admit um, could use some revamping i think one of the challenges is the way the voting comes to fruition i i've always kind of wondered does it make sense how the process is ran and it seems that it may not right and i say seems because i've not thoroughly investigated this so this could be incorrect, but one thing that I would be curious is, why can't you have very clear questions and clear answers that have to be written down? Why do things have to be big fights and people blasting each other's families and attacking, doing different things like that? Why can't things be approached in, a, in an underwriting capacity, just like when investors underwrite our business and they wanna go through deep background checks and everything you can imagine and, and you have to be fully transparent and I'm not perfect in life. Most people aren't that I'm aware with, but it's about honesty. It's about integrity. It's about learning. It's about growing from challenges, growing from experiences. Most of us, if not all of us have had them and it's really about growing. And, and it just seems to me the way that the whole campaigning processes are ran may discourage a lot of people from wanting to put their lives and families through that, um, which I think is very unfortunate because then it could perhaps uh, weed out the candidate pool. So I'll, I'll stop there from a political aspect, but no, 100%. I do think there are many things many thing that we need to do in this field. But okay, how old are you? I turned 42 uh, this summer. It's crazy so much. It's crazy that you are involved because you are not just a graduate from Harvard. You are also the president of one organization. No, could you explain a little bit about the, what you're doing in Harvard? Yeah, I, um, I completed the owner, president, manager program at Harvard Business School. And I sit on the uh, global board of Harvard's alumni entrepreneurs helping integrate the different wow. uh, chapters and people building businesses up because it's what I love doing. It's my passion. And, and by the way, the more you give in life, I've always found the more you get when you 100%. lean in and you give, you learn, you build relationships and 100%. that hopefully adds to your own value and livelihood. It's true, but it's time is spending. So again, so I, time and in the case of Harvard, the smart institution money. <laughs> it's 100%. Okay. Do you remember what was the first time that you make money? How old? Were you at this time? Well, I guess the first uh, the first large check, a million dollar type of check, was no, no, this is too much. I'm, I'm talking about uh, one dollar. <laughs> oh, the first time I made a dollar. Geez, I'd it's have like, to go back a long time. I the <laughs> first job. I was telling my wife this the other day, actually, as we were looking at, at different homes and and some of them that are really tough to to um, cut the grass. And and I remembered one of the jobs I had when I was 
probably about 12, was these big shears and, and, and an old lawnmower that doesn't have an engine. So you just push it and it kind of flips. I up. remember. I had one of those in my house. Yeah, right. It's a good workout, actually, in hindsight. And then other than that, big shears to kind of cut and almost like you're cutting somebody's hair. Pillock up the grass and cut it. Um, and, you know, I got paid a dollar an hour. And I remember at the time I was actually quite excited about the dollar an hour because it was an American dollar. So okay, it was, well, it was a, how old, how, how old you were more or less? I was about 12 at the time. And so okay. the Canadian dollar, that was probably about $1.30 an hour. So I was like, this is great. I'm getting a great deal. <laughs> they think they're only paying me a dollar, but I'm making a buck 30 an hour. But I was really excited with myself. <laughs> I love it. Okay, the first entrepreneurial business that you did maybe in the universe. So again, not the big ones. The, the, the first things, you know, with a friend or someone else. First time I deployed operational leverage, as the way I think of it, was uh, <laughs> shoveling roofs in northern Canada. Um, the the weight of the snow can crush roofs, and when people are older, it's not safe to get up on and and shovel them and so forth. And so, I was good at hustling um, and going out, knocking on doors, saying, "Hi, did you know how dangerous it is that you know snow could be? And you know, we'll do that for you." So, a bunch of kids in you know middle school type of things. So then probably 14 years old or something like that. Then I had my, I guess my working crew and we would shovel the snow off and, you know, I'd make my little cut off of what I paid them. So that was the first time I experienced operational leverage, which was, which was quite fun. <laughs> I, I love it. And, and I love the, 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 what you said that you were good, you know, finding the deals. Uh, the, 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 maybe, you know, these guys is our black is also a white POR for New York. And we were in the Hampton last time, and he, he was telling me how he started in his business. He's, he's making a lot of cold, uh, cold calls. And um, he was explaining to me that he was trained because he, he know that he's going to receive three no's until he mm -hmm. gets a yes. And he told me, you know what, Rick? When I received the first time a yes, the first time, I don't know what to do because I was ready for the three no's. And, and the more he was telling me that, having drinks, he told me, you know what, brother? I want to go out to take my phone and start calling my clients again. So I, I, I love, when, when, and you were, you were telling me your, your first jobs, and you were telling me, even though it was hard work, you were enjoying, when, when, we, are, when we are, I think that the, the secret of life is that whatever we're doing in a moment, we need to in some way enjoy it. Be 100% in and take the best from that. And in this way, we're never suffering. So we, it's, it's kind of learning from each experience. So I just want to share with you this. Yeah, uh, that's fun. This crazy guy that he, 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 he almost want to start calling again. Okay, well, as an so, entrepreneur, you have to be good at taking no's because you get a lot of them. <laughs> exactly. So the, the, the big success in your life, brother? Well, what I'm most um, proud of and get the most joy from is my family. I'm, I'm very blessed to uh, have, a, have a, a lovely wife and two very healthy children. And that, that uh, honestly is the, is the biggest thing 100%. to me. 100%. Um, you know, I, I'm, I feel very fortunate, uh, particularly in this pandemic that we're in now, that we have a strong business, that we have a strong team, which I'm very grateful for, that we've continued to grow our business. Uh, we've continued to raise capital. We've continued to make investments. We've continued to hire people during the pandemic. And I feel very fortunate because I know this is a very hard time for a lot of people and will unfortunately probably persist for a while. So for that, I feel very fortunate, particularly now that I do have children. When I started my business, 
and started the really my entrepreneurial path in the finance space. I started my first business when I was 25 years old. So it's been now um, coming up on the 18th year and a lot of learning lessons. It, it kind of looks up and to the right, but the reality is it's some type of a squiggly line that, that works its way up and um, kind of like snakes and ladders, I guess, maybe if you remember the old uh, board game. Um, and so that was really, you know, from starting the business to now, when I started, I knew I could afford to take risk because I didn't have dependents. I didn't take on debt and I worked hard. I knew the probability of success would be low. Kind of like your friend that says, hey, I'm going to get three no's for yes. But with the view that if you have enough tenacity, you have enough grit and perseverance that provided that it is a good idea, that hopefully you'll be able to get you know, some level of success. And, and thankfully we have. So now being at a, a place in life where I have dependents and children, a family and a lot of employees and so forth, I feel, uh, you know, extremely blessed to be in the position that we're at today. And, and that, that to me is actually a definition of success it really is being at a place in your life where you feel financially secure. Um, you feel comfortable with who you are, with what you do, your health and, and wellness. I know right now this is a podcast, but you can see my triathlon bike in the back and, you know, I'll hop on the bike and listen to a podcast and do different things like that. But, you know, to me, health and wealth is really a critical thing. And I, and I remember when I was um, doing the OPM program at Harvard Business School, you had a lot of people that were extremely wealthy you know, multi-billionaires and so forth. And there's often people that are chasing some number. And I always kind of said, well, well, then what? So you, you become worth a hundred billion, then what? Then you're worth a billion, then what? Then you're worth 10 billion, then what? When do you become happy? Then eventually what we do Fine. know, at least in today's day and age, we will all die. Um, and maybe for me, having lost my mother cancer when she was 39 years old, so younger than I am today, um, I really think about the fragility and the blessing of life in itself and staying focused on health and happiness. And, um, and I, and priorities. And that really is the biggest, that's right. The priorities. And it's that aspect of having everything together that way that I, that to me really is the success that I just, I breathe easy. And I remember my dad once said to me is the air hasn't changed, but it sure tastes a lot better. <laughs> I love it. Okay, the, the, the biggest failure, because we have a many or one big, or what, what do you think, what, what could you share with us? Yeah, I, my biggest failure is I started a, um, maybe earlier than it was willing to be adopted by society, a venture impact fund that was highly focused on really aggressive purpose for profit, meaning that it was a for-profit business model to invest in companies that are for profit, but that have a very explicit societal benefit. That the, the bigger it grows, one of the metrics is really focused distinctively on how much impact that drives to society, uh, whether it was raising money for charities and foundations or whatever that was. And I, I got a lot of great people involved, um, and this is dating back now 13, 14 years ago. And I said, well, this is great. This makes a lot of sense. You know, I, yeah, I even understand how this can benefit the business because a lot of high quality people are willing to donate time, efforts, reputations to get involved because of it. But I found that the, the gap between talk and action is always large in life, right? Talk's cheap, as people would say. But when it comes to things that go into the philanthropic sphere of life, that 
gap is even wider. And that's really what I just found it to be just too difficult to scale that in a way that was sustainable. So um, I'd self-funded and never ended up being able to have management fees or anything from the business because we self-funded all the costs and kept building and we were so passionate about it that we really went all in. And then I was like, geez, I also have to have a livelihood so I can support my family one day. Um, and so we don't do, well, we stopped doing that as explicitly and it kind of morphed into the model of Star Mountain Capital that is creating jobs and building companies, but those companies don't have to be making water clean or, or something of that nature. But that was probably the biggest, um, you know, failure that way that was, um, was difficult. It was, a, it was a hard, long path and a lot of effort into it, a lot of passion into it, which was fun, which is exciting. I, I learned a lot. I met a lot of great people, so I don't um, wish I hadn't done it or anything like that, but it was, um, it was not, I did not achieve what I hoped I would have achieved with it. Of course. Okay, what is the best advice someone gave you? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed to have a lot of partners and advisors and investors that um, I don't know why exactly, but have, have really um, put time and effort and, and money with me that I'm extremely blessed from because I've learned so much from them. One of them, uh, we have a bunch of former Goldman Sachs executives and partners that are investors with us. I remember one of them told me, this was probably about 12 or 13 years ago. In fact, it was, it was while I was um, heading back to uh, the next campus uh, part for, for Harvard. And he said to me, you know, I'd always been looking to other people. Like, what do you think? What do you think? What would you do? Because you're so smart. You're so successful. You must have the answers. And a part of life is knowing the right questions to ask. But another part of life, which he really helped me open my mind to is learning to think independently, right? So well, what do you think and why? And so I've become very big on whiteboarding and technology tools and brainstorming and figuring out ways to help yourself think and have conviction in your thought and in your research. Um, and that advice of saying, you know, you don't need me, you have the answer. I know that sounds very simple, but it is something that I think really made a huge impact in my life of just being willing to gain confidence in your thought and, and might mean you need to do a lot of research to come to the answer that you want to try to get to. It doesn't mean it comes easily or quickly, but learning to think with yourself, uh, I think is some of the best uh, advice that I've ever received because at the end of the day, you know, for better or worse, you have yourself, you have other people as well, but really learning to think critically and have conviction in your thought uh, was very valuable at that inflection point in my life. Love it. Inspiration of legend. Do you have someone that is an inspiration for you or you have many? I have many. They, they've, they've come in different phases of life. Um, I remember somebody that, um, uh, St Stephen um, Covey, uh, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People was actually very inspirational to me 22, 23 years ago um, around just kind of different things in life and philosophy and family. And again, it really talked about everything, but it was a no excuses. It was develop habits, uh, micro habits and one step to the other and plan things out and was quite inspiring. When, you know, later on in life, uh, Richard Branson uh, was somebody that, 
I, I found to be inspirational in the vision he had, the leadership. And again, when I took a step back and I looked at his life and what he created and this passionate, driven person who's built multiple billion dollar revenue companies. And, and I know now, of course, is a very difficult time for a lot of the businesses he owns in, in travel and, and things like that. But, you know, a very passionate person and, and willing to put himself out there for his brand for his employees, for his family, for his life and everything he's involved with, which I think takes a lot of um, courage that way. Um, so those are a few people. And then, you know, there have been other folks over time, you know, Steve Schwartzman from Blackstone, of course, is just a, has achieved, you know, phenomenal things with, with his business and partners. And, and he's, um, you know, published a number of things, including one of his recent books, which I've went through the podcast and and it's nice to to see that he as with everybody else faced challenges faced failures um wasn't just quick and easy different things he wanted to do um different stories he had of you know showing up to some institutional investor and them them blowing him off or not even being there and not showing up to the meeting spending you know like he started his business a bit later um, but had really a lot of, I believe, capital at risk earlier on that way. And so it, it really gave me comfort, I guess, um, in that, you know, if you stick with it and you've got the right plan that, you know, you can really get there because I certainly earlier on went 100% all in financially and multiple times, frankly, uh, with my business. And in fact, even to this day, I still have over 90, 90% of my personal net worth invested into my business, which is now quite diversified. So it sounds probably worse than it is from a concentration perspective, but I guess I'm still all in for the most part to this day. And at different evolutions, different people have um, inspired me in different ways and continue to. And by the way, your story is inspiring for sure, people that are listening, for sure. Okay, one question. How many days do you do, you do exercise? In good weeks, seven. Uh, <laughs> since COVID, I think I've only missed one or maybe two days, which has actually been enlightening to me to see how enjoyable, productive, and effective working from home has been. I'm fortunate to have a good home work situation. Not perfect, right? I don't really have a great home gym. I've got rubber bands and things like that. And um, But with push-ups and sit-ups and pull-up bars and a bike and running outside, um, I'm no longer getting home at 2 a.m. from a flight and waking up at 4 a.m. to catch a flight. And as you know, as you know, I'm sure, Rick, like that's exhausting. And the number of flights that I was looking over the last couple of years flying to, you know, Singapore, to Seoul, oh. to Saudi Arabia, even over it's even just to LA or to London, like exhausting. I mean, just physically exhausting being on the planes all the time and your probability of catching a cold or a flu and then then with little kids and they're incubating everything in their little preschools and stuff and it's like I've either got my kids incubating something or the airplane incubating something and so that's the one silver lining I've had that um, health nutrition exercise I was laughing with my partner Chris our CFO the other day is saying we're probably in better shape than we've been for 20-25 years um, I think I'm, exercise is critical. Yes, 100%. This is why I include this question in leaders because I want to show people that really, really all the leaders in some way, they really understand that they need to take care of their body because otherwise it's, it's impossible just to focus on business. And in terms of healthy food, you also take care of the food? 
I'm lucky there that my wife is uh, very focused on healthy eating. So we've gone to predominantly vegan uh, at home. Uh, we mm -hmm. still do eat, you know, fish or something perhaps once a week. Um, so I'm not full vegan, but mostly, and we just, you know, really, and, and we really try to eat very clean as far as ingredients are concerned and not deep fried mm -hmm. and the organic. remember, uh, yeah, and the, um, you know, the, the Dubin family that started the Dubin Center for um, Cancer Research, um, really fabulous uh, couple that, that built that. And I did a tour with them probably a year ago or so now. And I always like to ask people questions. Say, look, you guys are deeply invested and committed. What are some of the things that you say? And some of them sound basic, but not eating like things like chips and things with high sugar and Look, we all know how addictive sugar can be. Um, so for our children, for ourselves, and and thankfully, um, you know, healthy eating can be very good. I do find you have to make it easy, though. Is the one tip at least I'll give people for myself. Um, my wife helps tremendously with it, but even prior to that, if you make it easy to make the right decisions, and I remember that was one of the things I got from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey is surrounding your life in a way that creates success. Your study environment, your food, so planning what you're gonna eat, when you're gonna eat it. I used to plan out and, and actually map out everything. And then I would sit there and be creative and say, well, that's interesting. I know I'm gonna be tired after this, so this is a good time to work out. Or then I know I should probably eat, and that's good because I'll need a little bit of a break. And, and I literally had everything. People are gonna say, you're crazy. I actually found it then very easy because it wasn't like, oh, I'm starving. Oh, there's a chocolate bar or a bag of chips or something unhealthy for me. I made good decisions, but partially because I made it very easy for myself um, to make the good decisions. So make it easy. I agree. It's about easier. making the homework. Let's make the homework. Let's planificate. And I agree. Exactly. <laughs> At what time do you go to sleep? I'm sleeping by 10 every night. I'm a big proponent of fundamental sleep. For me, I like eight, eight and a half hours of sleep uh, every night. And I me really... Too. I try not to deviate. I will tell you pre-COVID with the amount of traveling and stuff I did, um, that was difficult and it was exhausting. And, and I hope that I will be able to continue post-COVID with a um, still a strong sleep schedule and hopefully traveling a little bit less. And I hope that um, the different, uh, we're, we're thankful to own a video conferencing or have an investment in a video conferencing company and some other businesses that I think are changing a lot of ways of life that can allow for a bit less travel, which uh, I certainly warmly welcome. And I said, uh, at what time you wake up? Depends on the day, but I'm typically sleeping from 10 until about 630. And okay. then I, I also find from exercise, if I don't exercise in the morning, the probability of me exercising decreases rapidly. Um, to put some geeky bond or finance terms out there, it's a highly amortizing probability curve. And so uh, if I don't do it right off the bat in the morning, chances get slim. Um, you, are, I you are not human. You are Terminator. It's yeah. all matter. <laughs> well, the more you schedule it, the easier it gets. <laughs> but I like how you describe the probabilities going down when I don't do exercise in the morning. I like it. I like it. You know what? My, my friends so many times laugh on me because, for example, when I said, like or don't like, no, give me a percent, 95%, 87. So I prefer to use a number to give me how much yeah. I like one thing. Because if, if you don't put a number, I like a, a lot. or No, a lot is not enough. Give me a number. Right. 
it's better to. But... In fact, I, I do that with our team all the time. When they say things <laughs> that are qualitative, I say quantify for me. Exactly. Right? You, you think we're going <laughs> to get this deal, get this deal done, bring this investor, whatever it might be. What do you think is the probability and probability weighting things and having dashboards. The one last thing I'll, I'll say <laughs> is that yeah, I've learned this from children. So my son is a really probably like me as a little boy, I, I would um, surmise high, very high energy. So for him, he's got this teacher right now that's just fabulous. She has summer off. And so she does really play-based learning with them. And I see her play-based learning, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In other words, my kids are playing and you're charging me an education tuition. I get it, play-based learning. Now I really see where there's value in it. Like jump to number four and then, well, what's four plus three? Jump to that number and making it fun and engaging. You know, what a difference. So as, as you think about that in business, it's metrics. People like goals. They like metrics. So making them visible, creating dashboards. Like we invest a lot in different technology tools and customizing tools so that we can track and monitor and take data-driven approaches to everything we do. But the more you can make things sort of fun and people like to achieve goals. I think it's one of the reasons that, you know, people love sports and all those kind of things. I don't bet or anything like that, but people like sports betting all that because they can look at numbers and quantify everything. And um, I think anyways, I think the more you can metricize things in a fun and consumable way, so it doesn't become overkill. That's the delicate balance. Exactly, exactly. The high value. My kids sometimes, so my, my daughter is almost 20, my kid 18. When I, when I speak with them, I don't know why they said, okay, daddy, could you speak like it's not a business meeting, but I'm not talking about this, but since I'm trying to be a structured, they feel like it's like a business meeting. I don't know. So we need to, when you are there in 18 years old, you're be yeah. ready. It's complicated. Well, and, and, I, and I welcome any experience from you. I, my wife and I have, we'll have conversations like that. She's like, it's not all business. I meant to say it was business, but that doesn't mean we can't think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to get the best uh, tools from, yeah. from life it's not about business but it's okay okay yeah. the, 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 if you need to give me a book that you advise what would be this book just one i know that you have many but just one it depends on the phase of life that people are at so i think that um you know, from an early developmental thing, if I just had to pick one, I, I really, and it's been a long time since I've read it, but The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People has a lot of basic tools in it that I think are probably valuable for people to structure your life, personal, professional, for success. Okay, got it. And one advice, this is the last question, one advice that you give to the people that are listening on, in this crazy time, what do you, what is your advice? I'll give two things. One, the more you give, the happier you will be in general. There is a lot of, uh, there are a lot of studies behind that. So think about ways you can add value to your local community, to society. And it can be as little of things as saying, thank you. We really appreciate your efforts. Like as a CEO, how many times are people like, I feel like sometimes you're the, you're the global head of complaints, right? And so when people are like, hey, thank you, I really appreciate your efforts, surprising how many people in life, whether it's police officers, whether it's nurses, you know, whether it's people bagging groceries, anything it is of people that are adding value to your society, saying thank you and figuring out little ways to give back, I think will it'll help create 
the type of culture and community that you want to be a part of and it'll help make you happy. And I think the happier you are, the more effective you will be personally and professionally. Brett, I'm 100% with you in this term. I think that love should be always the, the strategy. Uh, and at the end of the day, when, when you give some love to someone else, it's always go good, the, the, the everything. So the, the bad in love, uh, so many times, even in terms of relationship, I always say to my friends, so be open. Don't be scared that they're going to play with you. If they do that, they are the one making the mistake and losing this opportunity. Just yeah. be good as much as you can. And, and it's absolutely true. The, the more love you give, the more nice person you are, the more happy. It's not about what are you getting back. The more happy yeah. you are right there. Just giving this in this moment, you are immediately happy. So, Brett, yeah. I love you. I love this interview. Thank you very much. I hope to see you soon in New York, okay? My pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Wish everybody well. Take care, brother.